I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Tonight we are going to look at Matthew chapter 13 and verses 36 through 43. And so we're going to look at Christ's interpretation of the parable of the weeds uh, tonight. So Matthew uh, chapter 13, beginning in verse 36, beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that though we were once orphans, uh, children without a father, you came to us and you saved us. You have given us a family, a family of believers in which to be, in which we have been made a part. We thank you, Father, for uh, your word that goes out to your people, your word that goes out to your children to lead us to still waters and to green pastures. We pray, Father, that as the gospel is proclaimed this evening, we pray that you would feed us from heaven and lead us to a place of rest. Lead us to Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 36. Beloved, this is the word of God. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us, the parable of the, wheat, of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of God. Verse 36 tells us the location has changed. Jesus left the crowds and went into the house, we are told. Now, this house may have been his own house in Capernaum. We're not told that, but they go into the house, a house nevertheless. The fact that he and his disciples are in the house, away from the crowds, is significant. This is a lesson primarily for his closest disciples. So the crowds are now gone. He's gone into the house, a house, to draw nearer to his disciples. The change in location signals to them that they need to pay attention, that this is a a lesson for them, primarily for them. Verse 43, he who has ears, let him hear. It's a lesson for us as well. It wasn't just for his disciples, it's for every generation of believers throughout history. And so it's a lesson for us as well, one in which we would do well Uh, to pay attention. Now in this explanation, we see what the nature of the parables was and is. The elements in the parable, which we looked at in in a previous sermon, the, the elements in the parable represent something in reality. And so a parable is filled with symbols, something that represents something else, but something very real in reality. Parables are, for the most part, fictional stories. 
Though some of them are drawn from everyday life, like sowing seed, for the most part they are fictional stories, but the elements in the stories symbolize pieces of actual life, actual life and reality. And so in this way, parables give us, or give the people who hear them and give us a picture of what truth is like, namely what the truth about the kingdom of heaven is like. In this way, they, parables were intended to reveal, again, truth, truth about the kingdom of God to Christ's followers. And that's what he was doing here with his disciples. While at the same time, even though these parables illuminate certain aspects of the kingdom, for us, illuminated aspects for his disciples, nevertheless, at the same time, they also hide truth from unbelievers, namely the Jews in Jesus' day. Now, this is important for us to remember because we are part of a kingdom that is largely invisible. The glories of the kingdom of which we are a part remain hidden for a time, mostly hidden. Now, this can be difficult for us in this age because the one thing that is not hidden before our eyes in this world is the wickedness in the world. It's very clear. It's very visible all around. We also see very clearly that often wickedness goes unchecked or seems to go unchecked. The wicked in this age often enjoy a lack of accountability, it seems to us. They enjoy prosperity even. Not only are they not judged or are they not punished for their wickedness, they prosper off of it. They they enjoy a good life in this world off of, the wicked, off of the wickedness that they take part in. And we see this all the time. And as Christians, we desire to see justice upheld. It causes us to feel sorrow. We are frustrated at what we see, the injustice in the world. We want to see Christ glorified. We want to see Christ honored. And yet, what do we see? Well, we see for the most part in the world... Laws perverted, we see good order is overturned, the world calls that which is truly evil, they call it good, and they call that which is truly good, and they call it evil. Now when we see and hear about so much of this kind of thing, we as sons of the kingdom, we may be tempted to think it will be this way forever. We may may be tempted to think that this is just the way it's going to be. Or we may be tempted to try and force a kind of preliminary judgment on the wickedness that we see. We want to see justice upheld and so we want to force justice justice into the world. Now Peter would do this later in Jesus' ministry when Jesus was arrested. Peter wanted to use the sword to usher in a kind of judgment upon the wicked in his day. So what did he do? He sliced off an ear of one of the high priests in his attempt to do just that, to bring in justice, to bring in judgment before the time. What did Jesus say? He said, put your sword back in its place. The desire for justice is a good thing, friends. That desire to see justice upheld, that's part of what it means to be a Christian, to see things made right. To, to want to see things made right. We see this, this desire expressed all over the Psalms. 
But the execution of justice is not in our hands. This parable makes this clear. For the most part, the execution of justice, the justice at least that will come at the end of the age, that execution is not in our hands. And that's what this parable is about. A major theme in this parable is timing. When will justice come? That's the question that's being answered here. Jesus says at the end of the age. Verse 39, the harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are angels and they will come and they will clear out the weeds. Now the age that Jesus was referring to that will come to an end on a certain day at a certain time. The age that Jesus was referring to here is the time in which we live. It is the age of the Messiah's coming. We have been living in this age, otherwise known as the last days, ever since Jesus came to this earth, ever since he took on human flesh and did his ministry on earth and died and rose from the grave, we've been living in this particular age that he speaks of, the age of the Messiah. We don't know when this age will end, this age in which we live. We don't know when it will end exactly, but when it does end, then and only then, will we find permanent justice. That's what this parable is teaching us. As we live in this age, we look forward to a time when this age comes to an end and when we will see the justice that we so long for as Christians. And so that justice will come at the end of the age and not any time before. Of course, with this said, we see shadows of that in time judgment, preliminary judgments come upon people. Often Christ sends people out of the church uh, in accordance with his will. As John says in his writings in 1 John, he says they went out from us to make it clear that they were never part of us. But the final judgment, the ultimate judgment that can never be revoked, that is not in our hands. And that comes later at the end of the age and not any time before. Then all of heaven will be employed against the wicked in all the earth. Now Jesus says here that the angels on that day will gather up the weeds in the parable. The weeds symbolize the sons of the evil one, we are told. Now these are the devil's children that Jesus is talking about here. And they are like sons to the devil because they act and speak like him. They are full of lawlessness. They're full of all kinds of wickedness. And so they have the devil as their father because they image him. They reflect his wickedness. At the end of the age, there will be no escape for them any longer. They may have enjoyed something of a reprieve of judgment in this time. But then there is no escape. Jesus depicts the final judgment as a burning Weeds will be burned, he says. He also mentions weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's also a place where these wicked people go. Now, all of these descriptors and references reveal something of what will take place in hell, which is described as a place, a location in Scripture. It's a place for the wicked. In that place, we are told, the everlasting wrath of God will be poured out on all the wicked in the world. This is a place, then, of never-ending misery, bitterness, and pain. That is what is behind these 
phrases, gnashing of teeth, weeping, burning. It's everlasting misery upon those who were wicked in this age. And so whatever joy that these sons of the devil, whatever joy or happiness, temporary joy that is, that these sons of the devil experienced in this life, then will be turned to weeping. That is what will happen at the end of the age. And so again, for Christians, we are reminded wickedness will not last forever. The wicked cannot enjoy what they do forever. And again, we see preliminary, preliminary judgments of this come upon people. People are sentenced to jail. People get convicted. They get caught. But there's an even worse judgment to come. Lots of people don't get caught. Lots of people are not convicted. Lots of wickedness goes unchecked before our eyes. Jesus says it won't be that way forever. Now this burning in, in, that is described in Scripture is, is, again, something that will last forever. In this place, their punishment will not end. They've sinned against an eternal God. Their unending misery is just. Today, we see what looks to be like the enjoyment of wickedness that does not end. That's what it looks like to us when we look into the world. It seems as though the wicked enjoy what they do and will, so, will, will enjoy what they do forever. That's what it looks like to us. And Jesus says no in this parable. He says they won't get to do this forever. Now we should appreciate here that the Son of Man leads and executes this judgment. Verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. In other words, then and only then, at the end of the age, Jesus will permanently purify the earth. In the new heavens, and the new earth, when Jesus comes again, there will be no more wickedness. They will not be let in the gates. They are kept out forever. And so the way in which we have to live with this wickedness around us, with weeds right next door to us, growing up and enjoying the prosperity from their wickedness, that, this reality for us as Christians is not eternal. When Jesus comes again, then he will permanently purify the earth of all wickedness. Now notice, too, that the field in the parable represents the world. Verse 38, the field is the world. Thus, Jesus is not primarily talking about hypocrites and false teachers in the church, though we could certainly include them in this. They will be cleared out at the end of the age for sure. He was talking about the way in which primarily, he was talking about the way in which believers in every age will live and work among lawbreakers right next door, right down the street, in this city, in this country. They're there. All kinds of wicked people, all kinds of lawbreakers, all kinds of sons of the devil. This is part of the suffering that we endure, friends. This is part of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be aliens in this age. We are sojourners. We don't belong here. This is part of the suffering that we endure. At times, because of this, we feel a kind of righteous frustration, do we not? We feel a kind of righteous anger even at times. But Jesus says to us, the time has not yet come. 
Until that time comes, Jesus makes it clear the church is not charged with purifying the world. Not our mission. That is not our prerogative to purify the world of all wickedness. The disciples would have to watch later on. They would have to watch the sons of the devil that Jesus talks about here. They would have to watch them conspire together and crucify their master, their shepherd, their friend. They could do nothing about it. Jesus reminds us here that judgment is delayed. It is certain, but it is, for the time being, delayed. Now, friends, we need to remember that most of the world is like this. Most of the world is made up of sons of the devil. We are few in number as Christians compared to the rest of the world. We need to also remember that Jesus is still planting the seed of his word in this very world, this very world that is filled to overflowing with all kinds of wickedness, nevertheless, the seed of the word goes out. Jesus is still calling his people. He is still calling people from out of that world. Such were some of us. There are still others out there that have not yet heard Christ's sheep in the world who have not yet heard the gospel. We exist. We do our work for them. His word still continues to go out from the church and a select few will receive this word and they will bear fruit. And so friends, we must endure. We must endure what we endure in this age for the sake of the elect. And remember always that we have our, a father in heaven. This is what Jesus says here. He says, at the end of the age, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. We have a father in heaven. He knows what we have to go through. He knows our suffering. And so we are called to endure for the sake of the elect, trusting that our Father in heaven will provide for us. God is our Father. Jesus is our King. We will endure. And so we must endure. Lastly here, Jesus reminds us and encourages us, uh, encourages us of what will happen to believers at the end of the age. While the sons of the devil are permanently punished for their sins, we, on the other hand, will shine like the sun in our Father's kingdom. Now, Jesus uses the imagery of the powerful light of the physical sun to describe the resurrection or to portray the resurrection glory of believers. We are the sons of the kingdom. This is something of a reference to the eternal joy and glory, the eternal happiness and eternal peace that we all will have and we all will experience forever with Christ and with our Father then. At the end of the age, we will shine like the sun as sons of the kingdom in our Father's kingdom. Then, friends, we won't see wickedness anymore like we do now. Then what was invisible in the kingdom today will be made fully visible. And we will never see darkness enter into our kingdom, this kingdom, Christ's kingdom, uh, ever again. Again, Friends, that time has not yet come. And so for us, patience is the key. Endurance, long-suffering, filled with much prayer to our Father. Friends, our full glory in Christ as the light of the world is temporarily hidden. It is. We are the light of the world. This is who you are. 
You are the light of the world in Jesus Christ. But that light is temporarily shaded. It's hidden for a time. There are many weeds that grow up and they obscure our beauty. They cover our light. They dim the light that we have. They dim our glory. But like the physical sun that without fail breaks the darkness, our light will shine, friends. We will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Until that day comes, may we endure. May we endure for the sake of the elect, to the praise of God's glory.